We've been engaged uh, in a teaching, a six-week teaching series called What's So Good About the Good News. If you've not been with us, uh, the primary words that the New Testament uses to describe its teaching is simply uh, good news. And there's some very rich and deep teaching in the New Testament about the good news. It contains at least six Uh, major dimensions that we have been discussing, and among those uh, aspects of the good news that the Bible tells us about is that, first of all, as a genuine follower of Christ, you, in fact, were chosen uh, before creation to know him and to have a meaningful role in his Uh, grander scheme of things and his program on the earth. Second, he made you spiritually alive uh, when you were spiritually dead and capable of accessing and experiencing his wisdom. Third, uh, he forgave you. He erased all the guilt uh, for your sins and mine and has delivered us uh, from invisible powers of darkness that we cannot see, but whose influence that we can perceive uh, in some of the conflicts and troubles of this world. And then another fourth aspect of it is that he transfers us from one kingdom uh, through a type of portal, uh, portal into another kingdom uh, so that now as a follower of Christ, you are the focus of his eternal kindness, and that you live in his grace. So as we are exposed to this teaching and really begin understanding it and internalizing it, of course, it changes deeply our perceptions of God, our motivations in seeking truth and in following Christ. But if all this wasn't enough, there are at least two additional major dimensions, and uh, want to focus on one in our remaining time this morning. We get a first glimpse of yet another of these dimensions in the Gospel of John, chapters 13 through 16. Now, as many of you know, uh, these several chapters record for us Jesus' remarks during his last meal with his closest uh, friends and followers right before his death and resurrection. And in these verses, Christ promises his disciples to send a spiritual companion, a type of intimate helper, comforter, and friend that they have beforehand not known before. And he says in John chapter 13, verses 33, he says to them, he says, I will only be with you for a little while longer. You cannot come with me now. Well, for those of you familiar with this this passage, his disciples don't understand. Uh, They have followed him. There's been all of this tremendous benefit and blessing to so many people in the nation of Israel. They have not grasped the fact that it is almost the end of Jesus' life on earth. And so he says, I I won't be with you uh, very much longer, and you can't come with me. It confuses them. And so they begin asking Jesus, well, where are you going? 
But he, as we read these chapters, is elusive in his reply. He doesn't answer their questions directly, but he redirects the conversation into a couple of other areas. And he continues in John 14. He says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper who will be with you forever. He, the Spirit of truth, will be in you. So he says here that he is going to send them another helper, a companion, and this word helper, parakletos in Greek, uh, mean, it has several kind of connected meanings, one of which is helper, comforter, encourager. And he also describes this person that he will be sending to them as the spirit of truth. He says this spirit proceeds from God the Father, that he has access to the truth, that he is the truth, and that he can impart the truth to those whose lives uh, he joins. And then he says later in John uh, 16, he says, I'm telling you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. If I didn't leave, the helper wouldn't come to you. But after I go, I will send him to you. Of course, after this, uh, each of the four, first four books of the New Testament record for us the events of Jesus' death and then his return to life uh, from death. Fifty days later, we read in the book of the Acts, he fulfilled this promise that he made uh, to these very close friends and followers in this room, the second floor room, uh, briefly b- before his death. And he fulfilled a promise during an annual national Jewish festival of Pentecost, which was one of the annual festivals that they celebrate the Jewish people every year. So we read in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, it says, When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together, By this time, they were demoralized somewhat. You've got this group of his immediate disciples, and then there was a broader group of of, of a couple of dozen that, as we can glimpse in Scripture, that were basically the the remaining people of his initial community. It says they were all together, and suddenly there was a sound from heaven like a violent rushing wind, and the sound filled the place where they were gathered. Small flames of fire appeared to be spreading around them and resting upon them. And then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a very interesting passage. Uh, This passage uh, describes the beginning of an entirely new era in God's program on earth when we see the very beginnings of the spiritual companion that Jesus promised to send was given to his people for the first time. And so God provided some unmistakable visual evidence that this is a whole new period that they were entering into so that they would clearly understand its significance. And there are some other miraculous results of this that we read in Acts chapter 2. But the rest of the book of the Acts... 
then records for us the rapid expansion of this community this, of Christ followers uh, throughout the Roman Empire. Uh, as they spoke the truth about Christ, as people understood his identity and they believed in him, then they too entered this new community and entered into this very intimate and special relationship with the helper, the comforter, the counselor, the encourager that Jesus was talking about. And of course, this new community expanded to several of the major cities of the Roman Empire, including the city of Ephesus. And so Paul wrote a letter uh, to these Christ followers in the city of Ephesus. And he says this in chapter 1, verse 13 of his letter to them. He says, after listening to the message of truth, hearing and believing the good news of salvation, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He is given to us as a pledge of our future inheritance. So, He is, Paul is saying to these Ephesian believers, and because this is applicable to all of Christ's followers uh, afterwards for the time to come, which includes us, he's saying that when we hear and when we believe, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And he uses a term that refers to like government chops or seals that are used on a legal document. So he uses this word picture to say that when we understand Christ's identity and we believe, then the spirit of Christ, the spirit of truth, this companion, helper, encourager, comforter, unites himself to us. And in some sense, comes to live within us. He makes us alive spiritually and all of these spiritual transactions occur that we've been studying recently, but we are also sealed. It is a final decisive act by God where we are linked to his spirit. And then he says, he says, he is given to us as a pledge of our future inheritance. He says that the spirit is like a earnest money or a down payment for all that he will give us in the future. Uh, He's saying that the Spirit's work in us now, that is his work of comforting and illuminating and guiding and encouraging and supporting, it's really because we, we live in this world, we can only taste a part of that. But we have a very bright future on the horizon, and whatever taste that we get of it this life is only a small glimpse of all of the ultimate uh, blessings that are coming our way in the life to come and in the age to come. Now, there's some very rich, deep insights in the New Testament uh, about all that the Helper does for us. Uh, We could spend probably at least two or three weeks going meticulously through the Bible verses in the New Testament that describe more fully the identity of the encourager, the helper, uh, this spiritual companion that we have been uh, given. But let me just focus briefly on three. Three things that he does for you and me 
as Christ followers. First, he expands our awareness. John chapter 16, verses 7 and 8 says, The helper, this is prophetic, Jesus is talking about what the Spirit will do, but he certainly has begun doing it after his death and continues to. The helper will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So what this essentially means is that uh, as the Spirit begins working in a person's heart and mind and life, he impresses them uh, with an awareness of their spiritual need. He begins teaching them and convincing them of the provision uh, for that need in the person of Christ. And he also, in some sense, makes them aware of the consequences of not accepting that blessing. Now, many of you know, uh, we all know people have had uh, interesting conversion experiences. And I, I want to tell you about one. Uh, my senior year in college, I rented a small house with two other guys, uh, one of whom was in his late 20s, whose name was John. Uh, John was a big, handsome guy. He, was, he worked out all the time. Uh, he had started a successful business, and he had a little money for a person that was in his late 20s. He was a little older than me and my other friend that were in helping rent the house. And during the sexual revolution of the 1970s, by his own admission, he, John had lots of girlfriends, uh, lots of relationships. He, had a, he was a kind of a magnetic personality and, and all I've described. He didn't have any trouble uh, finding uh, girlfriends and, and having those relationships. But over a period of weeks... He had a friend, uh, he, he started experiencing some dissatisfaction. There was this sense of dissonance or discomfort uh, that he you know, later described to us. He had a friend who had been trying to share Christ with him. And one day, after several weeks of this type of discomfort, he was visiting a friend at his friend's mom's house. And this friend's mom was a, a believing uh, Christ follower. And uh, he decided to go, to, he needed to go to the restroom in this woman's house. And as he was walking down a hallway toward this restroom, this lady had, you, many of, some of you may have seen it years ago, people would sometimes have a, a wooden stand and have one of these great big Bibles you know, huge print that, you know, folds open. And so he's walking along toward the bathroom and he glances down at this huge Bible and his eyes uh, focus on this verse on one of the pages. It happened to be open to Matthew chapter 5 and his, his eyes lasered in on verse 16 of Matthew 5, which says, let your light so shine before men uh, that they can see your good works and honor your Father who is in heaven. 
Now, John wasn't a particularly emotional kind of a guy. He was a real masculine dude. Uh, but he went into this bathroom, and somehow this passage gripped him and just pierced him, and he went to his knees and started weeping profusely. And he just had this sense that, you know, he, isn't, he wasn't right. He wasn't right with God. He had this sense of repulsion over the life that he was living. And there, by himself, in that bathroom, he had remembered the words of his friend who was trying to lead him to Christ. He opened his, his heart to Christ, and he changed. And he really, really changed. He became a a very dynamic, growing, maturing Christian today. About 40 years later, he is still a very devoted Christian man with a fine uh, Christian family. Now, that's one of the more dramatic examples of this, the helper uh, convicting, uh, convicting of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Now, that doesn't happen to so many people. certainly didn't happen to me. I'm sure it hasn't happened to a lot of you. Sometimes uh, it's just a quiet awareness over a period of time uh, of dissatisfaction in our minds and hearts. Maybe curiosity about some believing people that we have met. An interest in starting to read scripture. But slowly we become aware of a need. We become aware of the provision for that need and the, the beauty and the person of Jesus Christ. We, came, we come to a point of belief. And when we do, we are sealed. We are granted and given this helper, comforter, counselor, encourager who can do so very much for us. So he expands our awareness. Secondly, he guides us into the truth. Jesus said the helper will teach you. He will bring to mind what I've said to you. He will guide you into the truth. Now, there's all kinds of ways, in my observation, that, that he does this. He can guide us through friends, uh, through uh, certainly from, from reading the scripture, uh, conversations, uh, literature of all kinds. Uh, and I even had an experience this week, very unmistakable, distinct experience of being guided into truth this week. Uh, I rarely uh, listen to my own teaching. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, not a particularly pleasant experience for me, but, a, but a, occasionally, you know, I work up my courage and it's on the internet and on the website, so I punch in and so I sucked it up and I listened all the way through uh, to one of my teachings of a few weeks ago. And I was a little depressed. <laughs> First of all, there is the problem of my voice. <laughs> and uh, this awful Texas accent that sometimes, you know, bleeds through. And, I, I, you know, it's just sort of in my bones and I can't get rid of it. And then, of course, there's the content. Uh, I've, you know, I've received quite a bit of instruction about how a person's supposed to do this effectively. And try 
But I can listen to some of my teaching. I see you know, a half dozen weaknesses in the content, the structure, the logic, the clarity, the illustrations, the passion displayed. It's very, very clear. I mean, so I listened to all this. I mean, the whole thing. And wasn't feeling at the top of my game. And then I made the additional mistake of logging on. I had a little time that day. And I logged on to and listened to a sermon of a guy who is generally recognized to be one of the finest Bible teachers and Christian leaders in the world. Big mistake. <laughs> because, you know, if I was down, man, I was just like scooping out a big, a big hole and climbing in and pulling the lid over and we, I can, I could laugh now, but I just, you know, really, as I, I did that, I thought for a few minutes, what am I doing, doing this kind of work? The fact is, I have some very limited gifts in uh, trying to lead and trying to teach. So I actually turned it into prayer. I said, Lord, why am I doing this? But it occurred to me in that moment, well, I remember a guy, Bill Counts, who was a pastor of a church that Iris and I attended for eight years when we lived in Dallas, Texas. So I thought, well, Bill had a style that was kind of similar to mine. So I thought, maybe I can just, before I have to move on today, let me just listen to a few minutes of Bill and find a little comfort. So I clicked on, you know, I started, Googled Bill Counts and popped down a number of references on the internet to him and couldn't find any teaching. But I just arbitrarily and randomly clicked on one of the links that said Bill Counts and up popped this article that wasn't written by Bill Counts. I have absolutely no idea how they could have linked this particular article to Bill Counts, and I didn't do the research to figure out what, but at the very top of this article were the three words, perseverance in preaching. <laughs> and it was the most beautifully reasoned description of the need for people like doing what I try to do to persist despite limitations and weaknesses and I cannot tell you of the encouragement that it brought to me. And I believe with all of my heart that that was exactly what Jesus is promising in this passage. He will guide you into all the truth. And you and I face all kinds of struggles, problems, issues, challenges, and Marriage and family and raising kids and helping them become independent and well-educated at work, personally, lots of rain. He can, will, and does guide us into wisdom in a wide range of areas of need as we seek his direction, just exactly like Jesus promised here. And then lastly, another aspect of what he does for us is he grants us spiritual power. Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus said, When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall receive power. 
What he is saying is that when we move through this portal from disassociation from God's people and family into his community and the spirit joins us, he makes available to us his spiritual energy, vitality, enthusiasm, and power. Um, There's a vast difference between what he can do and your life and mine and what we can do just through our own strivings or efforts. There's also a vast difference between confirmation and transformation. Uh, Sometimes we, we read in the New Testament, the New Testament distinguishes very, very clearly between false religion and true religion, between genuine, authentic faith and its counterfeit. And so people, you and I, whoever has a certain amount of discipline and receives a certain amount of instruction, of course, can learn the teachings of the Bible or whatever other religion. And if they have sufficient discipline and determination and focus, they can conform themselves just through sheer will into some sort of change. That is not what the scripture teaches. The scripture teaches that when we come into a living authentic, vital connection with the spirit of the living God, the encourager, the comforter, the helper, that he begins changing us from the inside out as we learn to listen and respond carefully to his guidance and direction and instructions. So it's not an effort of us just trying to strive to change, but collaborating with a coach with a loving friend and companion who can give us insight and motivation to make the kinds of small needed changes in our life so that over a course of time, our lives really are truly different. What's our responsibility to him? Well, three passages. Uh, Paul says in Ephesians uh, chapter 4 and verse 30, He says, don't grieve the spirit. It's very interesting. You know, this is clear. Grieve uh, means causing grief or sorrow. We have a companion who has feelings, just like God has feelings. And we can cause our companion, who knows us so deeply and intimately, grief, according to this passage. And in this particular passage before and afterwards, Paul is talking about uh, bad choices. That is, he, he talks about, you know, don't be manipulating or deceiving your friends, whole range of, of behaviors. And after he's listed several things of what we should strive not to do, he concludes with saying, don't grieve the spirit, which means that if we are stubborn and willful and we persist in a given pattern of behavior that is uh, prohibited for our own well-being, we can grieve the spirit and we will experience that to some degree. He also says in 1 Thessalonians, don't quench the spirit. Of course, the verb quench is normally used of fire. If you want to quench a fire, you pour water on it and it dies out. What this implies is that the Spirit is a life-giving force. He has energy. 
He has creativity. He has vision. He has uh, direction. And he is at work within us to move us in the directions that he wants to go in our relationships and all different spheres of life. But we have the capacity to resist, to suppress his direction in our life or to quench it. And Paul says you don't want to do that uh, because his, he has your absolute best intentions in mind. So we can never go wrong by listening carefully to his instruction. Of course, it takes some discernment and sometimes some counsel of friends to be able to sort out what the Spirit is saying versus what uh, we might be thinking. Uh, but we don't want to quench the Spirit. And then lastly, he says in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16, he says, walk in step with the Spirit. So that's a beautiful expression. Very clear. I'm not manipulating the words. This is actually the New Testament words here. So he says, don't hurt him. Don't cause him sorrow. Don't quench him or suppress his influence in your life, but just walk along in step with him. It's like you've got this friend, encourager, helper, companion, and he's going in a particular direction. So we just walk in step with him over time, growing, learning, maturing, and sorting out what that means. Uh, And then as we do this, Galatians chapter 5 says he begins producing within us uh, God's own love and his peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control in a way that we cannot produce ourselves. But it's only the result of, it's called it the fruit of the Spirit. It's this deep, internal, organic process in which he works within us to help us overcome our weaknesses and move into the life that God has planned for us. So the good news this morning, you and I have been given an amazing spiritual helper, comforter, counselor, teacher, guide, and friend. And we want to do everything that we can to understand that and to walk very carefully along with him for our own well-being and for the honor of our God.